So hello everybody, we're back. Mm. Unfortunately not with a victory, but we're back nonetheless. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. And we're Folk on Falcons. So, can you remember how many days it is since we last did an episode? Because I can't. No, I completely lost count. Well, I think it was about a month, best part of a month and a half. Feels like it was just after Christmas. So, um, oh, I've forgotten the usual start. You can find us on social media. Yeah, how can you forget that? Oh, yeah, so on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you'll find our page. And on Twitter, it's at Folk on Falcons. So, it's a little bit that's going on in the transfer market whilst we've been off your airwaves. But um, we'll come to that a bit later on. First up, we'll start with the performance, which we're all, we were all looking forward to on Friday night at Ashton Gate in Bristol, but um, didn't quite end up how we wanted, did it? Yeah, I think we had grounds to be reasonably confident. I mean, the team looked a strong one initially before the late change with Baroni with Bertha's child. Um, congratulations there. Um, you know, we were ahead of Bristol in the league and I think we deserve to be ahead of Bristol in the league. So I thought we could have gone down there and definitely got some sort of positive result. As it turned out, we certainly didn't achieve that. Um, it's quite frankly, it's a pretty poor, disappointing performance in every aspect, really. I just... Didn't think we got going at all. We'd suffered, I thought, particularly in the conditions too. Lots of unforced errors, lots of drop ball. Bristol, I thought, just looked so much sharper. And I know, obviously, we have had a long, long time since we've obviously played a competitive match, and that's obviously going to have an, have an effect. But you know, I don't think we can blame that too much, I don't think. Uh, we just never got going. We are just really, really poor. And Bristol were just a lot better on the night, I thought. And they sort of put us to the sword. I just thought they looked a lot more clinical, ball in hand. They looked far more dangerous. They made made a lot of ground all the time when they got in charge of 22. Harry Randall in particular, unfortunately too many times, which is side to side, looking sort of lack of ideas and then eventually just kind of box kicking it away or kicking it away otherwise. And it was just, I think, unfortunately, pretty early on, the right was on the wall. It never really got better, which was a shame, really, because, you know, we were looking at the table. We, talk, we were talking about eighth not so long ago and that was achievable. And it was, I think... If we picked up a result down there, obviously, particularly if we'd won. Um, but I don't know. I think, it's, especially as other results have not gone our way, I think in that regard, over the weekend, I think that's going to be a bit of a long shot now. But yeah, I think just a really disappointing night all around. We say it's disappointing, but we'd have to consider that the backs in particular were the walking wounded by the end of it. Obviously, playing scrum halves on the wing and fly halves at fullback and things isn't really ideal. Is it a case of what could we have expected the way the game turned out? Are we ever going to be able to play an expansive game when we've got fullbacks and replacement fullbacks and wingers going off injured? Um, or is it the sort of thing where you think, well, just shove up the jumper and I guess, although the scoreline at the end flattered Bristol a bit, we did stay within touching distance for the majority of it and we were going for a losing bonus point at the end when they ultimately got that final try of theirs. Yeah, I just felt that we sort of gifted them their tries, particularly in the first half. And I thought after half-time, I mean, it was pretty close at half-time and it was anyone's game, despite, you know, like I said, I thought we played pretty poorly. But the first score after half-time was going to be really crucial and we just sort of kind of gifted them that try straight after half-time, really. And it was always going to be a really kind of uphill battle after that, especially as the, the way the game was going. And then I think once the injury started, it was going to be a very, very, very long way back. And that's what it proved to be. Um, and at the end, it was just kind of like, kind of sort of summed it up, really, where he just absolutely gifted them their bonus point try. And he, I think he sort of solos for about seven, nine minutes gone with the fact that, oh, well, at least we're denying them the five points, you know, if that's 
you know, at least something, I guess, but then failed to do that. And I think that was particularly the head in hands moment at the end. That was that was disappointing, unfortunately. And, you know, you raised the point about how, you know, we had those enforced injuries and we both said about the big gap between when we last played. But I don't know. I, I, I just feel like we still should have done a lot better on the night. Yes, Moroni was absent because of his child being born, but we have played well without Moroni this season. And was it just a lack of match sharpness? Bristol obviously been playing the last few weeks and we haven't. Um, do you think it was just that they're in the swing of it and we were playing as if we're effectively coming out of a pre-season. I mean, I don't think you can ignore that. I mean, it's obviously going to have a factor, but I don't, it's just things like the unforced errors and the constant box kicking, which, you know, that's no excuse. You cannot box kick and just keep ball in hand without having a few weeks off. And it was, you know, it was things like sort of missed tackles, especially the first half for Harry Randall's try. And it was just, like I said, it just never really got going. I, you, and also, like I said, you can't ignore the factors that there was a, big gap in time we last played and the the key injuries but even before those injuries it just never looked right um and i know that walder said at the end of the match you it, it, the point was raised to him you know did maroney not play sort of course of disruption he said the point well we you know we train all different combinations and there's been lots of times as you've said when maroney hasn't played and we have Hugh stevenson in the centers and we've won games so, you know, I think it is an excuse, but I don't think the excuse can completely cover it, really. I think we just have to hold our hands up and say that it was a terrible performance. And, we, yeah, and it's really frustrating because I think we could have got something from that. Um, and I think that was obvious from reaction of Walder and the players in interviews afterwards. There was, you know, they acknowledged that they just were crap, actually. Um, and, yeah, and I think it's, as fans, obviously, that's just really disappointing for us because it's, a, it's another game against a team that's below us in the league that we've lost away from home as well. Um, and obviously, you know, if you want to finish in a good place on the table, you can't be losing the teams below you in the league. But unfortunately, that's, what that's what's happened. And quite frankly, our away record has been pretty poor this season. I know home has been okay. You know, we can look decent side. We picked up some very good results at home. Um, but away, you know, we've got to start doing better. We can't We can't kind of have these just inconsistencies. And, you know, I, I won't say it mention again about the big gap, but just generally over the course of the season, we just haven't been good enough away from home. We're not picking up enough points because we should have picked up, you know, you'd have thought at least a losing bonus point from from that game because look, we're on the league and that was only what their third win of the season. And, and they weren't wonderful against us the other night um, and it's I think again that's just kind of adds to the disappointment because it's not beaten or getting points against teams where we really be should where we really should be get picking up points yeah and I'm um, talking of picking up points there's picking up points in the league table is also picking up points on the pitch and twice Gary Graham has been picked up and not let down two games is it two games in a row or two games in three where you think oh he's easily getting here he does the hard work and then Smell doesn't manage to put the ball. Yes, he got to try it on, but the second one, when we would have gone level and conversion to go ahead, is that a turning point in the game? Do you think if we'd have got that try there, do you think we'd have got our tails up and been ready for action? Possibly. I thought the the turning point or sort of the the the, the killer point, whatever you call it, was when Bristol got their try not after half time. But yeah, I mean that Gary Graham moment was an actual, literal sort of head in hands moment. I couldn't believe how he he had scored it. I think Radwan sort of you know hopefully sort of flung his arms up in the air, being like. Oh, he's got it down, he's got it down, or whatever, which, but you know, you could tell he hadn't. And I think, again, that that moment and the, the gift of the, their last bonus point try, I think, summed up the night really. Because, you know, again, that was the difference. And when Bristol got out of 22, they looked really sharp and clinical. When we got in there, 
you know, with, with pulling stunts like that. And you're right, I think it was, I think it is, it wasn't the last game. I think it was a game before that Gary Graham also managed to fail to, it's equivalent, I guess, to like football, isn't it? Of sort of missing an open goal ring, isn't it? Yeah, easier to score than not, I think. And he's managed it twice in a row, not scoring. Right, so if we just put the, the Bristol show behind us, um, next week might be a lot of Newcastle fans down in Saracens because... Obviously, it's quite an important football match the next day. We'll have to pull our fingers out if we're going to get anything from that game. Yeah, well, I mean, in recent years, actually, down there, we've actually performed pretty well on the way to Saracens. There's been quite a few times where we've been in the lead, even at half-time away down there, but we all, you know, they always kind of pull away towards the end. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if, funnily enough, that's kind of how it plays out again this time. Why that's the case, I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, it's like you often with these sort of games just kind of have a go and sometimes just having a go, you know, you can get kind of positive results or positive things happen for you in a game. I don't know. I mean, right. you know, I think obviously if we come away from with a point, that'd be a very good result. But uh, it's just a case, I think, of just having a go, isn't it? Like we do every year, just, you know, I mean, just try and keep them out, try and stay in the game as long as possible. And you, you never know, it's kind of keeping touch and distance as long as possible. But I think we all know it's going to be a very, very big ask um, down there next weekend. Yeah, although um, there is the usual circumstance of it's probably the best time in the season to play Saracens especially as a Falcons team, when you haven't got many internationals? Or is there a good time to play Saracens? Yeah, well, I mean, there is that, as you just said there, you know, is there a good time to ever play Saracens? Um, I mean, they've got such a good squad. Um, I'm not sure it really matters half the time. Yeah, I, let's, we'll just have to have a go, won't we, and just see what happens. But uh, I think, sort of that game aside, I think it would be nice to sort of focus on the game after, which of course, London Irish at home, and finally have a home league game, which, you know, it's literally been months since that's happened, you know, I thought I think if we were looking at you know those three fixtures of Bristol Saracens and and London Irish, I, you know, I think not too optimistically we could have thought maybe eight points was reasonable. Um, but uh, you know, I think like I say, just have a go against us and see what happens. But then I think the focus really has to be on London Irish at home because if we can have any ambition trying to stay in the mix for that final Hanking Cup spot, then you know I think we're going to have to beat London Irish at home actually. But Looking forward to that one. Obviously, it's our first home game in in a hell of a long time. Yeah. Oh, you say first home game in a hell of a long time. It's not as long as you may think. It's the first home game in the league, but obviously there was that Southern Knights game a couple of weeks ago. Um, what was the atmosphere like at that one? Yeah, it was really good fun. Um, obviously, we saw a lot of some of the French players, some of the younger players we don't normally see feature sort of in the, in the league team. And yeah, it was a good opportunity for them. It was actually, I thought the most interesting thing was to see the actual gap in quality uh, between what essentially sort of Falcons Reserve slash Academy slash, you know, sort of fringe players against, so uh, I forgot the name there, their Scottish League. You know, it's the Scottish top division, isn't it? The one, you know, the kind of feeder league into Glasgow and Edinburgh. But you look at the quality difference between even French Falcons players and that level in Scotland, and it was very, very stark. It was, I wouldn't say it was like they play a different game, but it was they were very, very much a diff, completely different level and everything, just the, the pace and the power and how quick they were onto in defence and how, how they made things so difficult to break down for them all the time. Um, I, I think they sort of slacked off and after following made a few changes, particularly in the second half, some nights came into it. But I mean, obviously, you know, as a Falcons fan going, it was nice to see a good performance and a big win, but... You know, I suppose that's not really what it was all about. It was all about obviously Noddy and and it was a great I thought it was great. Yeah, it was a great occasion for him. I mean that you know, they had the great minutes applause 
beforehand by all accounts. I think a decent amount of money was raised as well. And that's, that's what it's all about, really. Um, I know, obviously, it was to fill up, you know, the, to replace the, the Worcester fixture. But I think, to be fair, the club did well there. I think it was the right thing to do. And it was, yeah, it was a good afternoon. Um, and I guess when they redo the fixtures next season, there won't be the same sort of gap. But I think it'd be nice to have that sort of semi-regularly you know, perhaps doing something a preseason to give a chance for fringe players. Um, yeah, I think personally it's something I'd like to see more often, these sort of dodgy memorial games, because I think, you know, no one is it for a great cause. I think it's a great chance for us as supporters to see some of the players we don't normally see. Um, yeah, you you say it was a really good afternoon. It's a shame for the fans that went to Melrose the, the prior weekend that they missed out on it, and a bit of background for those that aren't aware. The match was postponed at the 11th hour or... The thir- Wednesday, Thursday before the Saturday, because Melrose's team is going to be made up largely of young lads who end up being called up for Scotland under twenties. So suddenly they're devoid of players, and I- I'm not quite sure the other ins and outs of it. But match was cancelled on the Saturday. I think a few fans might still have gone up and watched the England Scotland game in-, in Melrose, which has been thoroughly miserable. And then they've rearranged that one to be a pre-season game, as you just said. So um, it may just become part of the. The Falcons calendar that before the season starts, we have the Doddy Trophy or whatever it's called, and um, it becomes a good fixture in the calendar. But it's nice also to, to play a different set of friendies and play teams that you wouldn't otherwise come up against because there's all sorts of chat about championship teams being thrown into various cup competitions next year, etc. But there's very few internationals that well, matches against foreign opposition that the Falcons play, and I guess we can call them that the Scots. And it's also, I guess. Interesting seeing the young under-20 Scotsman playing because there will be some reasonable quality unless they get usurped by an important South African in the next couple of years. You might see some of these faces playing in the Six Nations at quite a high level in the future. Yeah, I mean, um, like I say, in the second half, I think Southern Knights kind of rallied themselves and they, they put in a good show. I think they may have even... Did they win the second half or came pretty close? I mean, it was very much a game of two halves. Um, but like I say, I thought it was interesting how much of a higher level I thought Falcons were, even their French players. Um, so it's interesting, obviously, we mentioned about how, you know, there were essentially Scotland and 20 internationals involved. Um, because to me, it looked like that was a real difference in quality. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the the whole point of obviously those clubs in that league are is obviously feeder clubs for Edinburgh and Glasgow, and Edinburgh and Glasgow will take you know the cream of the crop from that league. So you're right in that we will probably see players who were involved in seven nights either this season or in any future friendlies against them. You know, for, potentially we could see them involved with sort of Scotland or playing against us for Glasgow and Edinburgh in a in a European competition at some point a year or two later. Um, but like you say, it's, it's good because it's nice to see a different opposition. I think it's nice to kind of play the Seven Nights because I guess they're kind of our closest, well, they're our closest opposition really, aren't they? more so than Edinburgh. Um, so I think it's nice. I think it's also a good chance for both sets of fans, I suppose, particularly us, to sort of pop over the border and have a day out, you know, in Melrose or wherever else in the in the borders. Um, I think it's, yeah, I just think it's a nice thing for the fans, for the clubs, and, and obviously it's a great way for um, sort of respect Doddy's memory as well. Certainly is. And um, remember on the topic of Scottish players, um, we've bolstered our ranks in the last the last day or so it's been officially announced. It's been rumoured and circled by various people in the press over the last few weeks. But um, good old Scottish name, Murray McCullum. You're not going to mistake where he's from. A prop that can play on both sides, a la Wartrev and Muapola. 
I have to say, I, I haven't seen a huge amount of this chap playing. He's got a cap for Scotland as well, but interesting that the South African props who play for Scotland are probably pushed out of position, and he might actually be one of the best Scottish props in Scotland. Yeah, I mean, I guess we kind of picked him up because it's one of these funny ones with the demise of well, Worcester, particularly in this case, where obviously the Worcester players have sort of been dispersed to various clubs sort of round around the UK, really, mostly. So I, I think... I think McCullum was playing for Edinburgh before he went to Worcester. Only made a handful of visits for Worcester, obviously, before they went under. And then he's gone back to Edinburgh on, on I suppose, in a, a deal until the end of this season. Whether the agent has contacted Falcons or whether Falcons themselves have sort of seen an opportunity because he's only on a short-term contract and decided to go for him. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at him, I mean, you know, I'd be like to say if I know much about him or seen him play, because I haven't. But, you know, you look at sort of his pedigree in terms of his appearances and... And like you say, it's always useful to have a proper can play on both sides. And yeah, I mean, he's been capped by Scotland, I think, three times as well. So, you know, he's obviously a reasonable player. And I think he's, he's going to be a player who will bolster ranks, not just in numbers, but I think quality as well. And do you fear that he's going to bolster numbers or bolster quality? Do you think that the fact he can play on both sides is good when you've obviously wanted to get smaller squads and you can perhaps afford um, a bit more money to spend on various players or do you think it's a bit ominous and maybe pointing at a potential departure or retirement well that's kind of the flip side of it isn't it we always <laughs> I mean, I don't know it's just us as Falcons fans whatever we always kind of look at the, uh, the downside of any incoming transfer um, but yeah I, I guess only natural that there's going to be questions raised about well if we got another prop in, is that just to bolster numbers or is it to replace someone? Um, I mean, you maybe think, oh, is Willie Puller going to retire eventually? Contracts are up for other players, other players are going to be moved on. We don't know. I mean, they may not, may, may not get announced until the end of the season or much closer to the end of the season. But, I mean, you can't ignore it particularly. But I think we can just kind of look at it as it is on the face of it. And it's a you know, decent quality player coming through who's going to be joining us at you know, next season. Yeah, it's getting to the time of year when normally there's been, actually been a few more announcements than there have been this year. I'm wondering whether it's dragging on longer because obviously with the salary caps and all that lack of funds in the game, people are trying to drive a bit of a harder bargain and it's lasting a bit longer than normal. But the good news is we've um, re-signed our speedy men, both Stevenson and Randwan have extended. So fantastic news there for the um, the Northeast contingent. True North will live on. Yeah, I mean, I think it was Stevenson who was announced first, wasn't it? Yeah, I think well, it's obviously for him to sign. We know that you know that he is a very good player. I think it's a bit unfortunate that he's kind of been played out of position, really, hasn't he? Because he's kind of been sort of shoehorned into that centre position and started to kind of adapt himself to that. You know, I don't think he's made the same impact he made when he was playing on the wing a couple of seasons ago. But, you know, we know that he's a very good player and he, of course he adds to the squad. And, you know, there he is, he's starting premiership matches, even if he's not in his natural position. And we know that we can switch him to, to wing and have absolutely no problems. Um, so, yeah, obviously really happy to see him sign. Of course, Radwan is, is the stellar big one, isn't it? You know, we've been wondering for a couple of years now, I guess, really, haven't we? You know, what's going to happen with him? Is he going to stay? Um, is it better, you know, will he go and get a big transfer fee or, you know, he's just going to go and his contract runs down or what? But I suppose credit to the club. I mean, from the sounds of it, both parties kind of wanted him to stay. So um, obviously that's what we want to hear. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's the big one, isn't it? I mean, it's I think it was really important, not just in terms of as as a player to hold him down, but I think for the club as well, because he is the sort of, he is the box office name, isn't he, that we have. And I think if, you know, the club wants to kind of progress and attract whether it's fan, sponsorship, whatever, any sort of positive attention, you know, we have to retain players like Radwan and 
you know, credit to them. That's exactly what they've done. Exactly. And I also think it um, speaks volumes to the direction the club's going in because everybody knows that Radwan's just about on the end of the England selection list. He makes it into various training camps, etc. Albeit might have dropped down a, a place or two in the last six months, year. But um, the fact that he's chosen to stay at the Falcons, and it's no surprise to anybody that players want to play for their country. And he feels he can... Well, I presume he feels he can do that whilst being a Falcons member. So does bode well for the future of the the club or the attitude within it or the direction the club's going in and the feeling of the momentum that you've got behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just generally all around it. It's very positive news, isn't it? Like, you know, like, like you just said there, like I said before, it's not just the fact that we've retained a very good player. It, it's that it shows that the club, you know, it c- can attract or retain very good players. It shows that, like you just said there, that Newcastle is a place you can come to and be in contention for, for you know, to play international rugby as well. Um, and the Argentinians certainly think so. Um, and obviously Radwan thinks so as well, playing for England. There ain't um, no reason why, really, obviously he's still very young, no reason why he can't be involved in England teams in the future. Um, and like you say, it's great that he thinks that that future does lie with, with the Falcons. Yes, um, a little bit further away from the Falcons, the farce is still ongoing with the tackle heights and the amateur game there's been no real developments on that um of note as of late we'll keep you up to date as that develops i do know that the motions being filed about no confidence in bill sweeney and various secretaries getting recalled and sent back to the rfu with an instruction to to vote the other way etc but we were now a month further than we were and it kind of got broken and it's not really been much progress there another farce ongoing is the um situation with wasps and Worcester. wasps and Worcester. Yeah, that's probably about right, actually. I said that by accident, but it's kind of what it's going to end up becoming because Worcester no longer exist, ceased to ceased to be because Mr. O'Toole wasn't willing to accept the debts the prior club had run up. But, oh, what's this? There are a few said that what Wasps can just move across the country from Coventry over to the other side of Birmingham and suddenly set up at Worcester's old ground at Six Ways. So Six Ways rugby and there's Stourbridge getting thrown in there as well. It's a complete mess. They're not. They're certainly not going to have more fans than Worcester because, yeah, a few fans might have travelled up from London or Wickham to Coventry every now and again, but to travel all the way over to Worcester, it's just that little bit too far. The Worcester fans, I feel extremely put out that suddenly Wasps have come and plonked themselves in their ground. So I can't see there being the same numbers of Worcester fans supporting Wasps, but it's just a, a complete joke. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, mean I think it's all... Savory and, and bizarre, really, isn't it? You know, one the fact that you know Wasp somehow managed to retain the championship status. Maybe they have somehow managed to show evidence that they are able to secure whatever necessary funding. But yeah, I think then just sort of going to play it six ways is is bizarre. I know there, there was talk of maybe the sharing uh, other grounds sort of more closer to Coventry. I can't remember what it was now, but it was just sort of the past few days. It was the news of the, Yes, that's right. Sorry, yeah, it was the 10Bs ground. Um, but it's just for the past couple of days that they've there's this talk of them going to six ways. You know, if you're if you're a Worcester fan, there's no way in a million years you're going to turn up six ways to watch Wasps, is there? It's it's absurd. And then uh, exactly like you say there, I mean, Wasp supporters are a funny one anyway because, you know, were they, were they Wasp supporters from Coventry? Are they really from London? Uh, but yeah, no, no one's going to go to Worcester for that unless you're an absolute diehard Wasp fan. Uh, even then, you might have to think twice about training all the way yeah. But with Wasp, I don't even know what sort of team they're going to be able to put out, really. I mean, you should, they've got to be looking sort of 
potentially rock bottom the championship next season for them. But the whole thing also with Worcester and Stourbridge is, is bizarre as well. I don't even know if that's going to be happening anymore. Um, because all the, there was talk of Worcester just take, was it Worcester were just going to take over Stourbridge? And they were just going to be thought they were going to be called something new, weren't they? It's a nonsense. Another nonsense while we're at it is this talk that's broken the last few days about Ealing potentially getting the chance to play in the, the same tournament as the Irish, Welsh, Scottish, Italian teams, South African teams. And I presume the reasoning there is that the Welsh unions can't afford to fund their teams anymore. So I think it's Ospreys they're planning on getting rid of. And then throw Ealing in the United Rugby Championship because, oh, well, why not? And they don't detract. Well, I guess the logic is that they don't want another rugby club in London, but they're going to end up with another rugby club in London. It's just completely bizarre. I mean, the thing I saw about that was that, now, I don't know if it's justified Ealing sort of exasperation, thinking, well, what the hell do we need to get promoted if I was sick of this? We found an opportunity to go to play in a top-flight rugby, so we're going to do it this way. You know, for, and from what I saw, it was potentially Ealing just upping sticks and moving to Wales. Um, so basically, they would Ealing would kind of be the major party, man, call it that, in the merger, but they will be the ones actually moving to Wales in order for them to play in the... You know, United Rugby Championship. So they'll just move up. They'll just upstate from London, which, you know, if you're an Ealing supporter, it's, well, it's, it's outrageous. But I mean, so I don't know what's happening with that, but all sorts of really funny things happening in the Championship and, and sort of what, and Worcester, if you can kind of tack them onto that. But yeah, I think we'll have to keep an eye on that Ealing one because I don't know if it's a case of they've just sort of given up trying to get promoted at all now. And like I said, I don't know if it's having justified exasperation or sort of just throwing sort of toys out the prime sort of thing and looking sort of a desperate resort just to play top flight rugby. But surely that's too high a price to pay. I mean, it's, it's, I think, you know, if you're just sort of a, a, an average rugby fan and you're told that and you look at that and you read about it, you know, on the paper or whatever, this is potentially happening. It's just absurd. Like, I, I think if you're an Ealing supporter, you'd be absolutely sort of, you'd be furious. I don't know what you, oh, yeah. It, it, I think it kind of sums up a lot of things with rugby, the fashion rugby in this country, doesn't it? Just the absurdity with, uh, and, and just the nonsensical decisions that are being made at, at a high level um, in this country. And I think what's happened to the championship and what's happened to Worcester, obviously, is just sort of perfect illustration of that. And when's it going to end? Is this just the beginning as well? Yeah, there's a very wise man once called Bobby Robson. And there's quite a famous quote about when he says, what is a club? And it does make you think, because what is a rugby club? You've got Ealing, where they're talking about merging with a Welsh team. And if it becomes South Wales Trail Finders or something like that, well, what have they done? They've just moved the Trail Finders franchise across principality boundary, tacked it on the end of a bust Welsh thing, and the franchise has moved elsewhere. Do the Ealing fans actually gain or lose much? Obviously, none of them are going to go and support the Ospreys. But they've actually got a rugby club in Ealing, the amateur team, which will still be there at the same site. And I guess it's just a chance for them to climb the leagues again. They'll be incredibly put out, I assume, by suddenly having to watch the amateur, team, the amateur club's first team as opposed to championship level rugby. But ultimately, there will still be a rugby club in Ealing, and it's it's a bit balmy, but they only climbed the leagues relatively recently anyway when they got a little money ploughed in. So you then look at the other side of the coin at the Worcester and Wasps debacle, and there's absolutely no one that can actually call themselves a Wasps RFC fan apart from the amateur club, which is still in London. You've just got a badge of a little insect that gets pinned on somebody else's shirt. And then you've got a nice big empty stadium because the virtue of Worcester going bust. But the Worcester fans support the badge on the shirt. They don't support just generic rugby team turning up on the 
playing on a pitch. It takes arguably generations, certainly decades, for people to become brainwashed into supporting a rugby club. So we're not going to talk about the Six Nations because that would be more misery. But what I would say is if you owned a stable yard and you had a slow horse, getting a new jockey wouldn't change the speed of the horse all that much. You need to get a new horse and a new jockey. And I think that England Rugby have just got a new horse at the minute. No, we haven't. We've just got a new jockey at the minute. I'm just confused myself there. What a lot of rubbish I'm talking. Anyway, what I'm basically saying is I don't think the tactics in the squad have changed enough to expect a different output. But um, hopefully I'll be proved wrong at some point, but I can't see it happening anyway. Anyway, um, Friday night in the Premiership uh, round of the results. Um, Bristol 30, we got 12. Cracking game down um, in Gloucester where they beat Harlequins 28 points to 26. On Saturday, Bath lost at home to London Irish 10 points to 25. And Northampton beat Sale in a high-scoring affair 38 points to 34 in which Manitou Lange was red-carded on his return to top-flight rugby. So there you go. Um, premiership table as follows. Saracen's still way out ahead with 57 points, followed by Sale with 50, Northampton with 38, Gloucester with 37, London Irish with 35, three teams on 34 being Exeter, Harlequins and Leicester, Bristol on 27, we've got 26, and Bath have 24. So if we go around the local leagues, so National League 2 North, Bladen lost at home to Huddersfield, 13 points to 19. And Tyndale got pipped by two points down in Chester, 29 points to 27. In Regional 1 Northeast, Annette continuing the fine form along with Billingham, two of them winning 38 points to 15 and 47 points, sorry, 45 points to 7 against West Bridgeford and Sandal, respectively. In Regional 2 North, there were victories for Penrith, Northern, Durham City, Morpeth, Percy Park, and Stockton over Carlisle, Concert, Aspatria, Keswick, Middlesbrough and South Shields Wester, respectively. In Durham Northumberland Division 1, victories for Sunderland over Acklam, Pontyland over Darlington, Gisborough over Novos, Hartlepool Rovers beat Horton Peter Lee, Medicals thrashed Hartlepool and Whitley Bay Rockcliffe lost to West Hartlepool. In Durham Northumberland Division 2, victory for Ashton over Walls End, Barnard Castle over Sedgefield, Bishop Auckland over Seam, Gateshead lost to Wrighton, North Shields beat Redco in a high scoring affair, and Win Leighton got a victory against Whitby. And last but not by no means least, Blythe drew with Seg Hill, 70 points apiece, Gosforth beat Prudder Stocksfield, and Horton beats Jerobians 111 points to 26. So I guess that has to go down as score of the week. Oh, and one final score in that league. Darlton Mountain Park Lesbethans beat Seton Carew on Friday night. As always, we're grateful for you spending your time listening to Ian and I ramble on. So that's goodbye from me. Bye, everyone.